You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, friends, good morning. Happy New Year. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5. We are going to start a new series this morning. It's one week, so it's not really a series. Just, just this morning, we've got one topic for this morning. Next week, we're going to start a new series. It's going to be seven weeks. That one should, should actually count. And uh, next week, it's going to, I'm so excited for it. We're, it's called Jesus in the Present Tense, and we're going to be looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus that's found in the book of John. Uh, we have stained glass in the sanctuary that reflect the seven I am statements um, that come from John, and we're going to explore those. And uh, we're calling it Jesus in the Present Tense because the promise is that Jesus can change our life today. Uh, it's not just abstract statements that we read um, in the Bible. These are, these are practical ways that Jesus changes our lives. So we're going to look at these seven things that Jesus gives us that, that are practical ways that he changes our lives. So that'll start next week. I'm, I'm real excited. Um, today, to kick off the new year, I know that lots of you have made resolutions. Many of you have already failed. It's okay. No judgment here. I stopped making resolutions a long time ago because I know myself. I'm not going to set myself up for failure. So uh, as we start the year, though, we, we do think self-improvement and we think about the things that we can grow in and, and what we want the new year to be different than the last year. And so this morning to, to kick the year off, I, um, I just want to ask you a question. And this question isn't mine. It comes from Jesus. And we're going to explore this question because when we talk about the things Jesus says, you know, oftentimes we talk about his parables and his stories or his teachings. We don't often talk about his questions. Jesus asked incredible questions. And he asked the kinds of questions that when you, when you stop and pause and, and kind of peel back the layers of these questions, they're very profound and challenging kinds of questions. And that's what a good question can do is it, is it uh, challenges you at a, at a deep level because questions have a way of cutting through all of the excuses you make in your life. Um, I, I, sh- I make in my life, I should say. Uh, they, they cut through those and they, and they reveal what's at the real heart of, of who we are and what motivates us. And so we're going to look at a question today because that's what a good question can do. I used to have this boss. He's the smartest person uh, I've ever known. His name is Dwight. And I apologize because I've met a lot of smart people here, but Dwight is still the smartest person I've ever met. And the reason he was so smart was because he was, he was my boss and I would walk into his office 100% convinced of a position that I was going to take. And I was going to advocate for X, Y, or Z, whatever it was. And I would lay it out before Dwight, my boss, and he would just sit there. And then he would never tell me his opinion. He would just start asking me questions. And then I would exit his office 100% convinced of the opposite position. Because that's what a good question can do. It reframes, uh, reframes how you think. And, and for me, um, this question we're going to look at today is one of those kinds of questions. It, it may seem simple on the surface. But as you peel back some layers and dig at this question a little bit, it becomes very challenging. And I think it's a good question for us to ask as we enter into a new year. So uh, John chapter 5, we're going to read about nine verses here. Here's how it goes. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We think this is Passover. We're not for sure, but we think it's Passover. And it says, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, let's, let's pause here. We're going to get to this question in just a second, but I'll pause here to wrap our minds around um, this, this setting that Jesus is in here. Uh, he's, 
you have you have this um, this gate here that's called the 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 sheep gate. This is a a real place in Jerusalem. Um, a, a, a gate that, that enters in. This is called the Sheep Gate, obviously, because this is where the sheep would enter. It's, it's near the temple. And so the, the sheep would enter here because they'd be used in the temple for the sacrifices or the worship. And uh, this would be the quickest entry that someone would, would walk into the temple in order, or to walk through the gate in order to get to the temple. And here is where the disabled people would lie. Now, when you think about being disabled in the first century, you have to wrap your mind around what would that have been like to be disabled in the first century? There's no health care. There's no government programs. There's no real options for work. Unless you have a very wealthy family, you're, you're just sunk. And so it's a hopeless, hopeless situation to be disabled in the first century, which is why you see these folks gathered here at the Sheep Gate. And they're gathered here for, for two reasons. One, there's a legend that uh, here at this pool that's by the Sheep Gate, um, whenever the water is stirred, the legend is that an angel has touched the water and the first one in is going to be healed. Now you, you might hear that and, and kind of scoff at that idea because it sounds ridiculous that if you see bubbles moving up in the water that the first person in gets healed. It's like, it, it sounds ridiculous because it sounds like someone's calling dibs on being healed and just the first one in gets healed. And it's, it's a ridiculous thing and unless you think about how desperate the situation is for these people, how hopeless it must feel. Therefore, no matter how ridiculous it might feel for a hopeless person, it's, it's not that ridiculous. But there's a more practical reason why they gathered the sheep gate, not just the, the hope of a healing. And the deeper level is because this is a, a real gate where the sheep were entering and is the closest way for people to get to the, the temple, you can imagine that this is a very good place to go and ask for charity. This is the direction that people will be taking from the countryside in in order to go worship, this is a, a charitable avenue that people are going on. So Jesus is coming in. You can imagine this is a good place for people to beg and to ask for money. Uh, Jesus is coming through this way, probably because he's going to the temple. It is a Jewish festival. And, and as he's on his way, uh, meeting hopeless people, uh, here's, here's what happens. Verse five, it says, one who was there who had been invalid for 38 years, 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Here's, here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. Do you want to get well? Now, on the surface, this is a very obvious question with an obvious answer, and the answer is yes, of course I want to get well. It's kind of like someone asks you, do you want to be rich? Yes, obviously. It's an obvious question with an obvious answer. There's, there's, there's an obviousness this, to this that you want to get well is a, is a clear answer that yes, yes, I, I want to get well. But however obvious it is, it becomes more complicated and more, more challenging when you begin to peel back some of the layers of, of what it might mean uh, to be well. And so let's ask this first question here. To, to peel back some layers, let's ask this question. What does it mean to be well? Now, when Jesus is asking this in John 5, pretty clear what this means. It means for this person who's disabled, uh, for him to no longer be disabled. Likely this means walking. The story later on will show that he, he can't walk. And so clearly this is a, a, a physical way of, of being well and, and that Jesus can offer for healing in that. And, and certainly I just want to be really clear. I very much believe in the miraculous healing power of God. I, I pray for people to be healed. I believe that God does things that I can't explain and I'm good with that. And that's about the deepest explanation I have for the miraculous healing power of God, that God does things that I can't explain and I'm good with that. I, I, I really believe that. However, I also 
believe that there's more to being well than just our bodies. And so when Jesus is, is talking about this, this question of, do you want to get well? I think we do ourselves a disservice when we think of this only in terms of our physical health um, that, that he might be asking this question. And I think that for a few reasons. One, I just think about the setting. There, there's all these people near the sheep gate and Jesus walks through and there's, it says there's lots of disabled people around this area. And, and I, I tend to think that it is God's will for people to be well. So why is it that Jesus only talks to this one person and not all of the people who must have been there who are also disabled? He only talks to this one person and only invites this one person with this question of being made well. So I, I can't tend to think that that if it's God's will for everyone to be well, that why doesn't Jesus heal everyone who's there at the sheep gate, which is how Jesus operated in the Bible. When he goes and heals people in different settings and situations in the, in the gospels, Jesus doesn't, never heals everybody. He heals specific people in these, in these times. And so I, I tend to think it has to be, be more than just our physical bodies. And if you dig at this a little bit more, it becomes, I think, more interesting and more compelling, um, especially when you think about how this word heal in particular, is used um, in different places in the New Testament. For instance, let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 9 is a story of healing that Jesus provides to a woman who's had these, these uh, problems for years and years and years, and, and this woman is healed uh, miraculously by Jesus. And here's what the Bible says about this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus says to her, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. Um, and then he says, and the woman was healed at, at that moment. This is a, a common way that the Bible might talk about being healed. Remember, the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, the original, and the original Greek word for healing that we often translate in different places in the New Testament is this word here. It's, it's called sozo. It's a fascinating word, sozo. By far the most common word we translate for, for the word heal. And this, what's so fascinating about this word sozo is that it's not always translated as heal. Let me read to you another example of the word sozo in the Bible. This is Matthew chapter 1, the story of Christmas. The angel shows up and speaks to Joseph about the baby who's going to be born. And the angel says this, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, in the original Greek, that word sozo, let's pull that verse back up there. That word sozo is in this sentence. Do you know where it's at in this sentence? Save. How fascinating that sometimes the word is translated as heal and sometimes the word is translated as save. There is this idea in the New Testament that healing is salvation and salvation is healing, that these two things go together. And, and, and so, so often when we think of salvation, what we think of is we think it means that I get to go to heaven when I die, or it means that my sins are going to be forgiven, and this is what it means to be saved, and when that's what we kind of mean when we say the word saved, or, or too often when we use the word heal, what we mean to say is we, we just say, like, God made my body better. But in reality, in the broader view of the New Testament, salvation is healing, and healing is salvation, what God does in our lives when we are saved is he takes our whole life, every aspect of our life, and he makes it well. He makes it healed. He makes it whole. He makes it complete. This is, this is what he does. He takes our relationships and he makes them well. He takes our souls and he makes them well. He takes our lives, he makes them well. He takes, he takes our, our future, our eternal life, he makes it well. This is what he does in every aspect of our life, not just when we die and go to heaven, but even right here, right now. This is the broad view of salvation that we find in the Bible. 
And so you could read John chapter five, this question, do you want to get well? And you could think what it means is, do you want to walk? And that would make sense in the limited context of this verse and what we're reading here. But if you take the broad view of what this looks like in the rest of the New Testament, what I think Jesus is really asking is, do you want to be made well in every aspect of your life? Because that makes more sense within the context of the Bible. This is what Jesus does, is he makes us well. In every aspect of our life, he makes us well. The hope that we have is that he makes us well. And so we have this question, do you want to be well? It's a interesting question as it starts to get pulled out into our lives with all of these different avenues of where it comes from. And if you peel back another layer though, it becomes more complicated. Because where the answer might seem obviously, yes, I want to be well, um, I have to stop and ask myself this question, and this is a personal question. I'm not going to assume it on you. I'm just going to ask it of myself. If I want to be made well or get well, as the, the question says, I want to get well, um, why is it then that I choose destructive things in my life on a regular basis? If I, if I want to be made well, like, why is it that I have so many things that I do in my life that would say differently than that? <laughs> And so it's hard to answer yes to that question when there's so many things in my life that, that in my real life and the real decisions that I really make and the real actions that I actually perform, I often choose to be unwell when what Jesus is offering me is to be well. So why does that happen? Like for instance, like you, like everyone, I have relationships in my life that are strained. And, and I know that, that what Jesus can do is that he can make wholeness happen and healing happen in those relationships. But I know what I, what I have to do is I have to take those relationships and I need to you know, bring them under the authority of Jesus and actually do what Jesus says to do. And so I know that what Jesus says to do and things like that is I need to work towards reconciliation. I need to forgive. I need to go apologize, which is just the worst to go and have to apologize. Like I have to do these things because this is what Jesus says to do, And so I, I, I have this question, right? Do you, do you want to get well? And I have to wonder in, in certain relationships, do I actually want that to be true? Because the way that I'm living and the choices that I'm making would say differently. You see, here's the hard truth about being well that, that people don't talk about very often. It's hard work. It's really hard work to be well. It, it, it never just happens. It's, it's incredibly difficult to be well and to live into the fullness and what God actually has for me in my life. It's, it's incredibly hard work to do. It's hard work to take what Jesus teaches and then to actually do them. It's, it's hard work. It's, it's much easier to live my life on my own. It's, it's much easier to live with the wrong priorities and to spend time in the wrong way and to spend my money just on myself. It's so much easier just to skim in my marriage. It's easier to, to just live for, my, for what I want to do today. It's easier not to serve people. It's easier not to forgive people when they hurt me. It's easier not to practice generosity. Like it's just, it's easier to have a lukewarm relationship with God than it is to have like an on fire relationship with God. It's easier to, to not be well than it is to be well. It's just, it's just easier. It's hard work to actually to actually be well. It's, it's hard work to choose the right kinds of things that are gonna build this into my life. It's, it's hard work. 
And one of the reasons I think it's hard work, um, this is how I kind of think about why it's hard work and why it's difficult to be well. Um, just a little analogy. Uh, we used to have this dog. I've talked about him before. He was terrible. He was a, a Jack Russell Terrier. If you ever dog shopping, like just pass on by Jack Russell Terriers. They're just awful, awful dogs. Um, we had him for 12 years, 12 long years. And for 12 years, um, I played this game with this dog every day is today the day that I keep you in the fence? And for 12 years, the answer was no. It is not the day that I'm gonna keep you in the fence. We lived in this neighborhood, we had this wood fence in our backyard and tried to keep the dog in the wood fence in the backyard. And that dog would dig under it, he would tear up posts, he just would do whatever he'd wanna do. So finally I just gave up. It's like, well, you just, you're on your own, good luck. And, and, and he would, what he would do is he would um, just do circles around our house. I don't know why he would do this, but all day long, he just had this like circle he would do. Front yard, backyard, front yard, backyard, front yard, backyard, front yard, back, all day long. He would just do, he wouldn't go on the street. He would just do this circle around our house. And I noticed, I mean, he's a little dog. He weighs maybe 15 pounds. He's not very big. Uh, and, and he would just do these circles around our house. What I noticed over time was that the grass started to lay down where he was doing these circles because he formed a path because it was always the same circle. And then what really astounded me was what I started to notice that there was an actual groove that was being formed in our yard because this dog was going around it over and over and over. And it just blew my mind that this dog put a rut in my yard because he weighed 15 pounds. But as I think about that, I think this is the real reason why it's hard to get well is because just as this dog, what he did with very um, small, small body, but with repeated actions, he formed a rut in my yard. This is what we do. We form ruts in our lives. And the longer we live with ruts in our lives, the harder it is to choose to be well. The harder it is to choose the actions of, of bringing my life under the authority of Jesus and, and to live in this way that uh, actually does the kinds of things that Jesus taught to do. We form ruts. We have the same things that we do over and over and over again, the same patterns, the same way that we treat people, the same way that we spend our time, the same way that we think about what we want in life, the same things that we do day after day after day after day, and we end up having these ruts in our life where we just stay in the same place in our life and we, and we don't live into what God has for us. We don't live into this wellness that he offers us. This is what happens in John chapter five, actually. If we keep reading, remember Jesus asked this question, do you want to get well? Here's what the person, the, the invalid, the, the paralyzed man says back to Jesus is verse seven. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now think about this for just a second. The question Jesus asked was, do you want to get well? Yes or no. He comes up with an excuse of why I can't do this. This is a rut. This is what real life ruts look like. Here's the question. Do you want to get well? It's a yes or no question. I'm, I'm so stuck in a rut for this person. This person's so stuck in a rut that he can't imagine what life looks like different than the problem that he has today. Uh, for instance, I've heard it said that most couples go to marriage counseling six years too late. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems true. That for most couples, they live in the rut for so long that they can't imagine what it's like to live differently. That's what a rut is. That's what this guy's doing. It's a rut. I can't imagine what it's like to live differently. I can't imagine that I could be well. I can't imagine that life could look different than it looks right now. 
So do you want to get well? Well, here's all the reasons I can't get well. Jesus looks back to him, verse 8, and just says to him, get up. That's how you should read it. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Stop making excuses. If you want to be well, here is your opportunity. This is what I can do for you. If you want to get well, it's, it's right here. So verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And so this morning, I, I wanted to, to start the year off uh, with a simple question. And at the surface, I, I know it seems really simple and obvious, but I think as you dig at this question and peel back layers, it becomes more complicated. And so this morning, first Sunday of the year, just a simple question before you, it comes from Jesus. And I just want to ask you, do, do you want to get well? And in your life, thinking about the entirety of your life and all the places of your life that, that is the real you, not just your Sunday morning you, but the, the real person who makes real decisions, who has real relationships and real struggles, real pain, who has real questions and real doubts, do, do you want to get well? And more importantly, maybe the question needs to be this. Um, where do you think Jesus would ask this question of you? Like where in your life and the different relationships and places in your life do you think Jesus might ask you this question? Because where in your life are you living for less than what God has for you? Where in your life are you living for less than, than the will of God for you? Because anywhere you're, you're living in that place, you're, you're not gonna be living into the fullness of life that Jesus offers. You see, Jesus came to save us. And that doesn't mean, just mean that we can go to heaven. It means that we can have a full life now. It means that we can be made well now. It means that God can be moving miraculously in our life now. It means that the broken places can come together now. It means that the broken relationships can find healing now. It means that we don't have to keep living in the same ruts with the same doubts, the same questions. We, we can live differently now. And so I just wonder, do you want to get well? And, and where do you think Jesus in your life might be asking that question? Maybe for some of us, it is you know, quite just like the story, it's our physical health. Maybe there's some of us who are not honoring God with our bodies and we need to make changes in our physical health in order to be well in that, in that area. Maybe there's others of us here who it's our emotional health. Jesus is gonna ask us this. Do you wanna be well in your emotional health? Because you are living with fear, anxiety. Maybe some of you are living with depression and you need to do the hard work because it's hard work to be well. You need to do the hard work of seeing somebody, uh, counseling, finding uh, healing for this, this emotional um, unhealth that you have. Maybe there's others of you who, who it's, it's maybe it's, it's relationships. And for you to be well, because there's a strained relationship somewhere in your life, it means that you need to take responsibility for the reconciliation, offering forgiveness, making an apology, doing whatever it is you can do to find peace because this is what Jesus teaches us to do. Maybe there's others of us, it's financial. We have a rut of spending and we need to get out of that rut and, and we need to take Financial Peace University or some other opportunity where we can learn new habits. Maybe others of us, we're just, we're not where we wanna be with God. We're in a rut with God. We're not growing spiritually, we're not where we wanna be. And, and maybe um, this morning there's a question that Jesus is asking you, do you, do you wanna be well in your relationship with God and you need to do something to get out of that rut? Maybe take a class that the church is offering. Easy, easy way to jumpstart your faith and, and move into a new direction there. I, I don't know, but I, I just want you to wrestle and ask a question this morning. It may seem simple on the surface, but I think there's all kinds of questions that become more complex as you peel back these layers. And so I just wonder if Jesus was asking you 
um, this, uh, do you want to get well? You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co, and if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening.